Hey, today's uh, scripture reading, we have two passages, two passages. The first one is John chapter 4, starting with verse 19, we read, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Luke 19, starting with verse 1, we read, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up, into a sycamore tree to see him. He was about to, uh, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they, and when uh, they saw, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, before I start the sermon today, I want to thank all of you that came to uh, church clean yesterday. You all did a wonderful job. And uh, sorry I couldn't be here. Uh, Joseph and I have to leave town about 6.30 in the morning to go to a Presbyterian meeting. That's uh, two and a half hours away. So we were gone all day. But uh, you did all, you all did a wonderful job. And I almost thought I entered into the wrong building when I came this morning. <laughs> uh, I'm glad the bush was, uh, was neatly uh, trimmed and gone. So be wanting to get rid of that bush for a long time. All right, that's, uh, let's, let's have a short word of prayer before we uh, start with the word. Father, we th- come before you and we want to uh, give praise to you. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will um, work in our hearts and illuminate us and open our mind and give us attentive heart to listen to you and that uh, your saints will be edified and the lost will come uh, to you and be drawn to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, every, every fall in the Chinese congregation, we, we get an influx of uh, Chinese students. There are uh, new Chinese students that uh, come to the nearby campus and start their study. And uh, many of them uh, tell me that they are Christians. But when I start asking them about their worship life while they were in China, I was surprised to hear that many of them tell me that they don't regularly go to worship at all. Some tell me ever since they went to college, they have stopped going to worship regularly. 
So I, I found out that in my years of ministry that many Christians haven't learned about very important truth in the Bible about worship. Worship, a public worship is the most important meeting in the church. It's a time when the entire congregation gather together, assemble before our God and our Father, and to give him glory and honor, and to glorify him. It is also the meeting that, uh, that most Christians attend the most. So when someone has uh, stopped coming to worship, it probably because they have stopped coming to all the other meetings, fellowship meetings, Sunday school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then uh, sooner or later they start coming uh, all together. So today we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, two passages as to why we should worship God. If you ask some Christians, you you ask them why why should we worship God, they might quote you uh, the fourth commandment. <clears throat> yeah. They might even point out it's in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But why has, why has God set aside a day for all of us, his people, to, to worship him? If you look at the Bible carefully, if you look at the Bible carefully, we can find that God saved us so that we can worship him. Now, this is a, this is a pretty bold claim. And this is a very important truth. The reason that God... <laughs> saved us is so that we can worship him. Worship is the purpose of salvation. Worship is the end goal of salvation. Now, this, this may be hard to believe for some of you, but we will prove it in the, in the two texts that we'll be looking at today. So, so we, we can start this uh, question. We can start this question by asking, why did Jesus came to earth? You know, Jesus himself tell us in two places in the, in the Gospels why he came to earth. And these two places are the two passages that we have just read. So um, when we put these two passages together, actually when we put two verses together, we get a whole complete, a beautiful picture of salvation and the purpose of salvation, which is worship. Now, the first passage is in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this verse comes at the end of the uh, conversion of Zacchaeus. And uh, Jesus, in this uh, verse, tells us explicitly why he came to earth. He came to seek and save the lost. Two things, to seek and to save the lost. Now, the word seek is a very important word. In Luke 15, uh, Jesus told two parables about seeking. The first parable is about the shepherd, uh, shepherd seeking a lost sheep. And the second uh, parable is about a woman who is seeking a lost coin. Now, this kind of seeking is a very intensive, very intensive kind of seeking. Now, today we may not relate too much about uh, lost sheep and lost coin. I mean, I don't think many of you have a sheep at home as a pet. <laughs> Probably many of you don't even have a pet altogether. Uh, but as far as a lost coin is concerned, I mean, we don't even carry much dollar bill these days in our wallet. Most of our transactions are with credit cards. So it's kind of hard for us to, uh, to relate to that. You have to remember that Jesus told us uh, these parables in the agrarian society. Okay, so a, a, a coin is a big deal. A, a lost sheep is a, quite a considerable wealth. So, 
So I'm trying to think what would be a, a modern day equivalent, modern day equivalent of looking, of seeking something important that you have lost. And I thought what would be equivalent to losing a sheep or, or a coin? It's like losing your cell phone. <laughs> Imagine what kind of panic you'll be in if you lose your cell phone. All your contact, all your friend's address, and all those lists, and all your banking information, uh, probably access to your investment account, it's all on your cell phone. Uh, even the authenticator app. So, so you, you go into a great panic if you lose your cell phone. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> what kind of money can people steal from you? And how are you going to get back all those contacts of your friends that you're storing in your cell phone? So, Last Sunday, as it turned out, I came to church without my cell phone. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> I, was, I was anxious all day long. I was afraid that people were going to send me important messages and things like that. They couldn't get hold of me. So, no, really, it, it, it's like losing your security blanket. Now, uh, Jesus came to seek, to seek and save the lost. He came to seek you and I. <laughs> And this is a very, very intense kind of seeking. This is the difference between the gospel and the other religions. The other religions in the world is men trying to seek God. Men seeking God. Men trying to use religion to get right with God. And for a finite man... <laughs> We are finite in our time, our space, and our knowledge. To, 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 to seek and find an infinite God is, in, is impossible. It's impossible. Now, mankind may guess things about God, but there's no way they can verify it. The Muslims believe that you know, if you participate in the jihad and you die, uh, there are going to be like 70-some virgins in heaven waiting for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, when I heard that, I kind of started thinking, is there a big population imbalance in heaven? <laughs> 70, 72 to 1, <laughs> woman to men ratio. I say, how could that be? But is, how, how is anyone be able to verify that? But for infinite God to come and seek human being and reveal himself to us, that's easy. That's easy. Now, this is what we find in the Bible. In the Bible, we find that God reveals himself um, to, to God's people. God came and sought out his people. So, God revealed himself through his word and through his deeds. We see that clearly in the Old Testament. And finally, finally, God sent his son into this world in the form of a human being and to seek and save us. So today, Jesus is still seeking people. So the, the fact that we end up in the church, that's not an accident. Jesus sent Christians to invite us uh, to, to church meetings. We, we are saved. We're in God's kingdom because Jesus sought us. Jesus himself tells us that, that uh, he chose us. We did not choose him. And Jesus in, in John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So by our own, by our own fallen nature, our nature is that we run away from God. 
our old nature before our conversion. We are enemies of God. We're hostile to God. We run from him as far as fast as we can. We run away from him just like Adam ran away from God after he has sinned. So how could, how could people like fallen people like that come to know Christ? You know that it is even impossible for fallen people to understand the gospel, let alone believe it. <clears throat> Our thinking has become futile after humanity's uh, Adam has sinned. Our thinking has become futile. How can we possibly understand the gospel and to embrace it? No, the only way is that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. And Jesus, uh, uh, the Father, draws us to his Son. <clears throat> so... In time, Jesus sent Christians to invite us to church. And the Holy Spirit enables us to understand the gospel and to open our, to open our hearts, so enable us to understand the gospel and to convict us of our sin. So even if we it do bring people to Christ, even if we share the gospel and bring people to Christ, it is because God to choose to work through us. God choose to work through us. It is not, it's not because uh, God needs our help. So, so when we heard the gospel, it is, it is the Holy Spirit uh, who uh, give us the faith to grasp upon to Christ. Now, if you are, if you are saved, you know that it's Jesus who saved you by dying for the cross, for your sins on the cross. But, uh, that's, that's how we become Christians. But have you ever wondered, why did Jesus save you? Now, that's an important question. Why did Jesus save you? For, for what purpose? For what purpose did Jesus save us? Is salvation a means or an end? If you, uh, the, the answer to the question, why did Jesus save us, can affect everything you do as a Christian. It affects everything you do in your Christian life. It has profound impact. And if we, if we have a wrong understanding, then we might seek a goal for the rest of our life uh, that is in error. So why did Jesus save us? If you, uh, you, know, if you show up for a new job, sometimes the employer might ask you to shadow an experienced worker. It happens at the hospital all the time. A new nurse shows up, and the new nurse is told to shadow an experienced nurse and to follow the nurse all uh, during the whole shift and see how the person responds and, and uh, administer certain procedures and what condition, so and so forth. Now, what would happen if you, if you asked a bunch of non-Christians to shadow Christians throughout the whole week and ask them, and ask them, what is the purpose that God saved uh, these Christians? What would, they, what would they say by observing what we do all week long? They, you, might get, you might possibly get two answers from them. The first answer, they may, they may say, well, God needed evangelist. God needed some people, somebody to share the gospel. God needed a worker to harvest the crop. The, the crop is ready for harvesting. Because, uh, because uh, uh, some Christians are working very hard in sharing of the gospel. 
Does God save us because he needed evangelists, people to, to, to share the gospel? Somehow, the God started a redemptive program 4,000 years ago and somehow couldn't bring it to a conclusion without our help. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we, should, uh, we shouldn't do evangelism. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, in the most part of the last 10 years, I've been leading an evangelist, evangelistic Bible study, weekly evangelistic Bible study. And many people attended the Bible study, and many of them got converted, and many of them got baptized. And uh, you have heard their conversion testimony in PPC worship services. And so, uh, and we used to uh, have combined worship services, too. And uh, every year we have people they get, getting baptized, sharing those combined worship services. So, so God uses, uh, uses us to do evangelism. And I love to do evangelism. I love to share the gospel. And in fact, um, many of the people that, that, that God has used me to, to share the gospel with came to Christ. Uh, I still keep contact with them. Some of them that were uh, saved through the student ministry in the church I served in back in the, in the mid-90s, uh, they are still in contact with me. Now most of them are, a lot of them are middle-aged, and uh, uh, quite a few of them are, are serving as leaders and Sunday school teachers in the church. So I get a great joy getting reports of, of how they're doing, how their family are doing, and their, and, their, and their children, their children having been born in a Christian home and grew up in the church and, and uh, growing up and serving the Lord. So, so, so does, does that mean God needs workers to harvest the crop? God certainly uses us to share the gospel, to bring people to Christ. But is gaining evangelists the purpose of our salvation? The Bible tells us, well, uh, more explicitly in Ephesians chapter 1, that, that the Father is the one who does the election. The Son went on the cross to do the redemption. And the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ on the cross to us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit illuminates us. The Holy Spirit enables us to understand the gospel and give us the, give us the faith that we need to embrace Christ. So even if we uh, bring people to Christ, if God uses us to bring people to Christ, it is because God sovereignly chooses to work through us. Now, uh, it is not because God needed our help. It is not because God needed our help. The creator of heaven and earth does not have any need. And we have to understand that when we, when we do anything in the church. The creator of heaven and earth does not have any need. It is we who have needs. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how, how well we can articulate the gospel message or, or how zealous we're sharing the gospel in the evangelistic Bible study. There's, there's something that we cannot do. We cannot open people's hearts. We cannot enable them to believe that's not something that we can do. It is, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. So God is, God is not in need of uh, workers to harvest the crop. The reason we do evangelism is for our sanctification. The reason we do evangelism is for our sanctification. It is that we who have this need. Now, because God allows us to be used by him allow us to, to, to partner with him 
uh, is serving in this uh, redemptive program. Mm. The evangelism that we do help us uh, to, to grow spiritually, to help us to develop a burden for the law, to help us understand the gospel better as we try to articulate it. So, so it is not because God needed us to do evangelism. No, we share the gospel because God wanted us to do it. God wants to partner with us. God wants to use us. God wants us to play our part in his redemptive program. So God has no need for evangelists. And if you read the conversion of Martin Luther, now who shared the gospel with him? For those of you who are not familiar with Luther, Luther was a Greek. He was a, he was a what we call today a seminary professor. And he was teaching the New Testament. He was teaching uh, Romans, uh, as a matter of fact. And he pondered upon this passage in Romans 3, the righteousness from God. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. He was trying to figure out, oh, is this God's holy righteousness? God's righteous nature? How could that be good news? God's holy righteous nature only <laughs> plus us and the condemnation. <clears throat> Then he figured out Romans chapter 3, that's righteousness from God. It is, not, it is not God's attribute of righteousness, but a righteous status, a righteous legal status that come from God, that is imputed upon us. Then he, then he dawned on him, oh yes, so that's the gospel. That's the whole, so uh, uh, the Reformation started. So the Reformation started with a, a Greek professor understood in Greek what it means, uh, Romans chapter 3, righteousness from God, a particular, a particular use of a genitive case. That, uh, that's how the Reformation, uh, 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 that's how Reformation started, Martin Luther and his uh, students. So, 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 one, uh, so if you ask the, ask the non-Christian to shadow Christians all week, they might, first conclusion, they might conclude God saved them because God needed evangelists. Now, the second uh, uh, conclusion they might get is uh, by following some Christians that God needed workers for the vineyard. God needed people to do his ministry. <clears throat> because they see that many Christians are doing uh, uh, ministry uh, all week long, uh, or several times a week uh, in the church's ministries. Now, if you ask some Christians, why did God save them? <clears throat> Why do they serve in the church? They may say, well, because all these tasks need to be done. There's a lot of things that should be done. And if you don't help out, if I don't help out, the, uh, the deacons and the other zealous saints, uh, they might just uh, be working too hard and burn out. So out of the goodness of my heart, I want to participate to help them out, to help them out. No, I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Serving God is very important. Uh, we are created to serve God. So, but is that the purpose of salvation? Is that the purpose of salvation? Romans chapter 12 uh, does tell us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as a living sacrifice. So our ministry in the church, the thing we do in the church, a part of that being a, uh, being a living sacrifice. But on the other hand, we need to understand that the God who spoke the universe into existence has no need 
by his nature, he, God has no need. So just because we're serving God doesn't mean God needs us to serve him. Bible says the shows us that it is us, God's people, that need God's help, not the other way around. So if we read the Old Testament, what we find is that God's people failed God. Failed God. And, and by the time you read Malachi, it's, the spiritual condition is pretty bad. And their testimony among the nations of well, being God's people is not so good if we read Malachi. We can. So, so the whole Bible shows us that it's God's people who kept messing things up. And God has to come and uh, clean up our mess. And that's pretty much summarizes the, the narrative, the story in the whole Bible. So the Old Testament, we see that God's people failed, but God sent the Messiah to make things right. So, so when, I peop, when I hear people say they're serving in the church because they want to help out the church, I start having a lot of questions. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. To say that the church needs help is like to say Christ needs help. Christ is the head of the church. The, head, the, uh, the church is the body of Christ. How could Christ need help? That's impossible. It is we who need Christ's salvation. And as we serve God longer, um, it is a wonder that, uh, that God would, uh, would use weak vessels like us. As we come to a more and more understanding of our own failings, we start wondering, why would God, how could God use somebody like me to, 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 to do the work in his kingdom, to proclaim the good news? But what the Bible tells us is that the Great Commission will be completed. And when the Great Commission is completed, God's promise to Abraham that all the families on earth shall be blessed will be fulfilled. And Jesus will return. So the Great Commission will be done through weak vessels like us before Christ returns. So despite our own fallenness and our little faith that God delights in using us, and we wonder, you know, people like us, how could God use us to do ministry? But this is what we see in the Bible, that God does use very weak vessels. So serving God is for own sanctification. It's not because God has need. Our service to God is for own sanctification. It's not because God needed our help. Through service that we become more Christ-like. Christ's life, if we read the gospel work, uh, Gospels, is a life of service. It's a life of service to God. It's a life of service to us. So the, so the $60,000 question remains, why did Jesus save us? Why did Jesus save us? If it's not for the evangelists or workers in the vineyards and so on and so forth. Now the word, the word seek is used by Jesus to describe his mission on earth. It occurs in two places. The first place we already elaborated on, that for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
And the second place is in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, in Jesus' dialogue with the Samaritan woman. Uh, last time I preached, uh, we, we looked at the passage. And, and, and Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. But the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So you put these two, play, uh, two verses together. Uh, you see, uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Salvation. Uh, what's the end purpose of a salvation? Well, Father is seeking such people to worship him. Father is seeking true worshipers. Who are they? They're the people that, that, that worship the Father in spirit and truth. Last time I, I preached uh, two months ago, I preached what it means to, be, to worship uh, in, in spirit and truth. So we put these two verses together in these two passages. We get the picture. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The end of conversion of Zacchaeus. And the purpose of seeking and saving the lost so that they can become true worshipers. That's why Jesus saved us. So that we can, we can, we can worship the Father in spirit and truth. So how important is worship? How important is worship? It's very important. God saved us so that we can worship him. The cross is the means of salvation. Becoming true worshipers is the purpose of salvation. The cross is the means of salvation, and becoming true worshipers is the purpose of salvation. So we see in the Bible there's a close connection between, between salvation and worship. In the case of Zacchaeus, what was, what was Zacchaeus' idol before his conversion? Well, it's money. <laughs> Many people's idol today is money. <laughs> and because he worshiped money, because money gave him security, that he's willing to be a tax collector. In other words, he was a traitor, <laughs> to put it simply. He worked for the Romans who were oppressive, oppressing God's people. He worked for the Romans to collect taxes for them. <laughs> and he's taking taxes from the Jewish people, his own people. So, 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 Tax collector in Jesus' day are very much hated. Okay, very much hated by the people. They're traitors. They're working for the Romans, the oppressive Roman uh, imperialists. Now, after uh, Zacchaeus gets saved, he quit worshiping money. He now he now value God more than money. <laughs> so Zacchaeus become a worshiper of God rather than a worshiper of money, an idol. So. So we see that he, he said to Jesus publicly. Now, this is very important. Publicly, he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my good I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Why fourfold? <laughs> because that's what the Old Testament commanded. If you swindle people and you deceive them, you have to pay them back fourfold. So we we see when Zacchaeus got converted, he turned away from his idol, the worship of money, to worshiping the true God. 
to worshiping the true God. Now, when I read about Zacchaeus, what he said in that verse, I was just thinking, this guy has been the chief tax collector. I mean, uh, he wasn't just any tax collector. <laughs> he, was, he was in a major city. Jericho was a major city at the time. And uh, being a chief tax collector means he's got all the other tax collector reporting him. I mean, he's the head of the local IRS, so to speak. What would happen the second day, the second day in the morning outside his house, what he said, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. There would be a whole crowd, whole line in front of his house collecting people wanting collecting money from him. Okay, so the fact that he said publicly to Jesus, okay, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I give it fourfold. That's a big deal. It comes with a price. Okay, so the second day in the morning, he's going to start giving out money to people for the money that he wrongfully collected. So, so in the Old Testament, we see the relationship between salvation and worship. When God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, that's salvation. That's a picture of salvation. What did they do after they get out of Egypt? God started telling them the proper way to worship God. And uh, the, in the book of Leviticus, pretty much God spent the whole book telling Israelites how to worship God. In the book of Revelation, The consummation, the end of salvation. What does God people do in eternity? What, what picture do you see? You see a picture of God's people worshiping God in eternity. We're going to be worshiping God in eternity in the new creation. It's not going to be a need for evangelism, by the way. <laughs> the, 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 the people... <laughs> In the new heaven and new earth, that's a fixed quantity of people. Everyone in the book of life that God has chosen before the foundation of the world, whom the, the, the Son has redeemed, the Holy Spirit has regenerated. They're going to be there. We're going to be living together forever and ever. There's no need for evangelism. That, that period, that door closes when the Jesus returns. And by the way, there's no church cleanup either. <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a big theological question that I'm going to ask when we get to new heaven and new earth. Do we need to change the oil in the car? You know, have you thought about that? That's a big, important theological question. Why do we change the oil in the car? Because, because the oil degrades over time. It gets polluted from the unburned hydrocarbons, et cetera, et cetera. And whether we're going we're gonna to paint... Uh, bare metals in heaven, would they, would they rust if we don't paint? What about the bushes? <laughs> would, they, would they become grow and become unruly and so on and so forth? And of course, uh, there'll be no trash to clean up. Every place is going to be perfect. And of course, there's no sermon to be preached either because all God's people is going to understand, not just understand the Bible perfectly, but have, have already or being, uh, are living them perfectly according to God's commandments. We're going to be perfect one day. God is going to make us perfect as Christ is perfect. 
So eternity, there's not going to be evangelism. There's going to be no church cleaning days. The bare metal is not going to rust. We're not going to have termite problems or, or, or bad, bad infestations and so on and so forth. Now, we're going to be doing worship in eternity. So you see, you see how important worship is, how worship is connected with salvation? Now the question is, does God need our worship? Does God need us to glorify him through worship? Would God be like lonely if we didn't worship him? Now, that's an important theological question. No, God is perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect means he, has, he lacks nothing. So even if we didn't glorify God, God, God's glory would not diminish in any way. So God doesn't need us to worship him. God desires us to worship him. That's a different story. God doesn't need us to worship him. God desires to, us to worship him. Now you may wonder, why would God want, to, want me to, to come and sing to him in eternity? Uh, to come and sing and to worship him? Uh, I know that most of the time when I sing, I'm off-keyed anyway. Because <laughs> I'm good at many things, but not, not understanding musical notes. I don't have that gift. God wants to come and stand up and sit down and, 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 and listen to his words and so on and so forth being preached. Why would God want us to do that in eternity? Is a singing prayer and listening to God, these, these are our manifestations of worship, not true worship itself. So we come and, uh, and we stand, we have prayer, we have singing. These are manifestations of worship, not true worship itself. So what is the essence of worship? The essence of worship is fellowship with God. That's the essence of worship. The essence of worship is fellowship with God. If you want a, if you want a more uh, flashy theological term, you can call it communion with God. That is the essence of worship. The outward manifestations of worship. Uh, we, we, we have prayer, we have singing, we have preaching, etc., etc. But the essence of worship is communion with God, is having fellowship with God. So God desires us to have fellowship with him. And corporately, corporately, when we have fellowship with God, and we have that in the worship service. It's not because God needs us. Our worship. Worship is a thanksgiving offering to God. Worship is offered to God. And in the process, we benefit from it. So God wants us to enjoy him as we have fellowship with him. God wants us to enjoy him as we have fellowship with him. That's the purpose that we are created. We are created to have fellowship with God. Now, uh, in, the, uh, in the PCA and the OPC, we, we have the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith our, as our doctrinal statement. Now, I know many of you have the shorter catechism, question number one memorized, <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't uh, study the rest of the shorter catechism. So the shorter catechism, the Westminster shorter catechism, question number one is, what is the chief end of men? What is the chief end of men? 
And in other words, what, what's the purpose of mankind? And the answer is, the answer is, <laughs> man's chief end is to glorify God, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to, and to enjoy him forever. So God wants us to have fellowship with him. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed that privilege before the, before the fall. Because God sought them out. God sought them out every day and had fellowship with Adam. Now, now after the fall, after the fall, men start hiding from God, run away from God. And the fellowship is broken. Now, as, as fallen human beings... The Romans chapter 1 tells us we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. We worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. This is what Zacchaeus did. So his idol, his idol is, uh, is, uh, is money. We all may have different idols. For some young people today, that's playing video games. Uh, I couldn't play a video game if, if, if my life depended on it. I'll be, I'll be killed <laughs> and not even know where the bullet came from. But to many people, they become slaves of video games and so on and so forth. We can become, uh, we can become slaves of the, uh, fallen people that will have different, different things that we worship. We worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And the Bible says Romans chapter 3, that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. So not only we were enemies of God, we didn't want to worship God, but on the opposite, we worship idols. We couldn't keep any of God's commandments. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it is, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Then how could God seek true worshipers? How could God seek true worshipers? If people, fallen people, run away from God and are opposed to God, well, it's because the Holy Spirit draws them to the Son and regenerate them and give them a new heart. The one that seek to worship God and enjoy in a fellowship with God. Because the Holy Spirit has written God's law in our hearts. <clears throat> God has taken away a heart of stone and given us heart of flesh. And we can respond to him in a loving way. With a new heart, we, will, we are enabled to come before God and to worship him. <clears throat> so this, this, the purpose by which Jesus died on the cross is to restore this broken fellowship because by sin. It's not because God needed evangelists to harvest the crop or, or, or workers for the vineyard. Although we do, we do evangelism, we do serve God in the church in various capacities. <laughs> but we see the ultimate purpose of God's salvation is that we become true worshipers. And this is what we do in eternity in heaven. So, so in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God in eternity. We're going to explain that later uh, in another sermon. So, 
in summary, God didn't need, uh, God didn't save us because he needed our service. Our service itself, Romans chapter 12, is a spiritual act of worship. Our service itself is a spiritual act of worship. So worship is not just coming together in corporate worship to sing and to, to, uh, to read the Bible and to read the text, to proclaim the text, expository preaching, and so on and so forth. But worship is an entire life of dedication and service to God. So in the Old Testament, if you serve the Lord, you serve Yahweh, then you are a worshiper of Yahweh. These things too are synonymous. If you're a worshiper of Yahweh, you're a worshiper of the Lord, Jehovah, then you, uh, you serve him. And if you serve Jehovah, then you're a worshiper of Jehovah, Yahweh. So um, these two are interchangeable. So our whole life is an act of worship. So this is, a, this is the purpose of our salvation. So I hope that by understanding this truth that, that you have a different attitude when you come to to worship God on Sundays, that uh, you don't come with a heart of just mere obligation because God commanded us to, to do so, but you come because God wants us to come together before him and to have fellowship with him. And in the process of having this fellowship with God, that you have come before God, his presence, that your spirit is renewed and God's, God's name is glorified. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for, um, for your word. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. And thank you, thank you that we can have part in your kingdom. It's not because of our own goodness or any wise decision that we have made, but it's because of the Father's uh, election and because of the Son's redemption and because of the Holy Spirit applying the work of the Son in our lives, that today we can be called your children. And we look forward to the day that, 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 uh, that our Lord will return. We, we look forward to the day uh, when we will inherit uh, the new heaven and new earth that, uh, that you have prepared for us, a, a world in which there will be no more viruses. We won't have to wear masks. We can breathe freely. And there will be no more threat, no, no, no corrupt governments, because our Lord Jesus Christ will be king. And he will be a theocracy, not going to be a democracy. Then he will rule us with righteousness. And uh, we will flourish and, uh, as God's people in a way that we cannot even imagine today. And Father, we thank you for all of this and all this uh, blessing you have bestowed upon us in Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.